Good evening, brethren. It is my earnest pleasure and a great blessing to be able to stand in front of you this evening. Uh, This is my official last sermon of the summer training program, part two, and I'm very thankful for everything that everyone has has contributed and, and all the investment and the love that's been shown to me. Thankful for Josh, for his mentorship, and for all the things that have been poured out, and I'm thankful for those and want to I want to try to give you guys a really good lesson on this last uh, this last lesson of this program. So open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. That's where we'll begin in just a moment in the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40 uh, and verse 31. Again, as is custom, I'd like to tell you guys a little, a little anecdote, a little story from my life that I think will serve as a good springboard to talk about some of the, the things from the, uh, the lesson that I have planned for you all. Isaiah 40 and verse 31 talks about not being weary and not growing faint. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a story about one time that I got kind of weary and, and grew kind of faint. So my aunt and uncle, uh, most of y'all know that I was raised by my aunt and uncle. And they're sporty people. You know, my uncle, uh, he was an athlete all through high school. He would do the do basketball and then switch off to baseball. And he was an all-star in both, did great in both. Ended up being a, a basketball coach for middle school when, uh, when he got older and and they, they wanted me to be that kind of person. You know, they, they wanted me as a kid to get involved in those, you know, the, all the ball sports. And they tried like everything. You'd put a, and obviously, putting a basketball in my hand, some of y'all could tell from right now, I'm a little vertically challenged. That wasn't exactly my forte, the, uh, the basketball. Uh, you know, I was kind of getting my, my shots knocked out of my hands. So he thought, okay, baseball, baseball, that's the next best thing we can do. So they put me in t-ball as a kid. And man, I, I was pretty decent at, you know, swinging the thing and, and I could knock it pretty far. But I had one thing, it was just this one little deal breaker, just this small little detail about t-ball that, that made me not really want to play it. And it was the fact that I had to run. I didn't like running. And I, I came up with a million excuses. I, I had this, you know, this heart to heart with my family. I'm sitting here, I don't know how old I was, like eight or nine, or maybe 10, I don't know. Just, just sit down and I just want to tell you guys, I don't like this. I'm not having fun. And they're like, well, what's wrong? Is, is the coach mean to you? No, 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 the coach ain't mean to me. Well, well, well the other kids mean to you? No, no, they're real friendly. Well, well, what's going on? I think I have foot problems, I said. I think I have foot problems because when I get done, my feet hurt. And I didn't like it. And I, I didn't like the feeling of running, man. And to be honest with y'all, while I've developed a taste for, you know, some athletic things, you know, I, 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 I like to train, I like to work out. This element has not changed. I hate running. In fact, I think I might be allergic to running. Because when I start running, y'all know where I'm going with this, I start, you know, breaking out in sweat. My, my throat feels like it's going to close up. Man, it's just uncomfortable. I don't like running. I don't, do, I don't like it at all. And when I look back, you know, I had a million excuses for, oh, man, I think I got, orth- I guess that's orthopedic problems, okay? I, got, I think I had problems with my arches, I, I'd say, stuff like that. But reality, I was just getting tired. And I didn't like the feeling of being tired. And that... Well, that kind of made me want to quit. And so I don't want for that to happen to us as Christians. Because, I mean, I was a child when I did this, and I think I can succinctly say that was kind of childish. Because I look back and I think, maybe man, maybe I would have been MLB if I would have just stuck with it. Okay, probably not, but maybe. Um, and, and so what I want for us, I don't want for us to want to quit. I want for us to keep running. So that's why I've got for you why you can run and not grow weary from Isaiah 40 and verse 31. Read with me there in the prophet. He says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. 
They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And now for those of you who were at our singing service last Sunday, it probably sounds familiar. Uh, and, and originally I had kind of a different direction. I wanted to give a sermon about this idea of perseverance and not giving up. But this passage was just too good, right? And so it just perfectly inspired the thoughts for the lesson and, and the direction that I wanted to go with it. And now it needs to be said, though, that in a lesson like this, that we don't want to, we, we, we don't want to think that this verse here in Isaiah 40 and verse 31 is teaching that somehow a Christian isn't going to stumble in their walk. That they're never going to lose their footing. That we're not going to sin as Christians. Now we're going to inevitably sin, and we're going to inevitably fall short of the glory and the grace that God has given us. That's that's a given. That's going to occur. And this passage is also not teaching that we're never ever going to fall away, or that we can't lose our salvation. The Galatians chapter five and verse four will put that to bed. Those Christians had fallen away from grace. Just read the book of Hebrews. Constant admonition after admonition that you can lose your salvation, and that you ought to guard yourselves and guard your faith and guard your heart to lift your drooping hands, to strengthen your weak weak joints, and to not let what is lame be put out of joint. That's said again and again in Hebrews, that same concept, that, that in summary, that they won't faint. That's the admonition there. And it is possible for a Christian to become spiritually weary, and yes, to even faint. And why is that? Why does that occur? It's because, I think, that we forget to wait on the Lord that has promised to renew our strength. I think it's because in this race, the Lord has promised us, He's promised us a second wind. He's promised us extra energy and, and extra cardio, so to speak. But we don't trust that all the time. So for the Christian that's been thinking of maybe giving up, or maybe have, have had some doubts or struggles, that you feel like, man, I might not even be able to do this. And you feel like you're growing weary and you feel like you might faint. This lesson is for you. And as for someone who has experienced and has felt this weariness, I can say personally, this lesson, this is for me too. So a lot of this stuff I'm going to be preaching at myself. And I want us to all bear up and see that while we can lose our salvation, brethren, and we can lose our salvation, I want you, each and every one of you, I do want you to be once saved, always saved. And I realize that's a hefty task, but what I have for you are three reminders from the Word of God that are going to renew your strength. i got three three reminders so that you won't faint, okay? And the very first reminder, I'm going to to throw you guys a softball here. Maybe some of you could guess this right out of the gate. The very first reminder that I have for you all so that you don't faint is actually all around you right now, right? It's... Something that can help you from becoming weary and over-encumbered. And this blessing, it's around us all the time. It's very present and obvious right at this very moment. We're surrounded right now by the first reminder to renew our strength. And that's our family. And yes, of course, some of us have some blood relatives here. But you know that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your spiritual family. Open up your, open up your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. And look in verse 19 in the book of Ephesians. And, and in this, I often think about how I... Cain Atkinson, I would never have known you all in this congregation if it were not for Christ. It's kind of surreal to think about sometimes some of the connections that we make about. And I ask, well, what association would I have with X person from the foyer? What association? I mean, I probably wouldn't know Josh, to be honest. I probably wouldn't know, probably wouldn't know Randy, probably wouldn't know Rick, Robbie, none of y'all. I wouldn't know any of y'all that I'm looking at right now. 
And, and essentially, we, we see how, you know, people from the world, they're brought together by different things. They're brought together, yeah, by blood. They're brought together by work. They're brought together by recreation. But in Christ's church, we're brought together and we're brought in unity just for the sake of love. And I think that's amazing. But look in Ephesians chapter 2 now, where Paul writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what we have is this amazing institution that the Lord has left, divine institution that the Lord has left behind for us that has knitted together other folks who otherwise would be strangers. And, and, and we've developed this relationship with God where we would be strangers and be aliens to where we're his children and he's our father. And that's what knits us together and gives us this bond. But pay attention in that passage to that word. It says that that happens together. In him you are also being built together. So it sounds to me like sometimes the reason that we could grow weary, sometimes the reason that we could faint or that we could end up leaving the fold of God is because we're not doing this together, in the realest sense, together. And I think there's really two ways that we can isolate ourselves from the people of God and that are very problematic. And I think the first one and the more obvious one is that we isolate ourselves physically. We do not put ourselves in the geographical location where there are Christians, right? If, if we know that there's a worship assembly going on and there's going to be a, an assembly of God's people and we avoid that, well, then what, what can we say about our conscience? Well, well, if that doesn't bother you to do, to say, I'm deliberately trying to avoid my family, this, my spiritual family, given to me by God, well, that's a problem. And Hebrews 10.25 will tell you, there's, 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 no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Hebrews 10.25 tells us that to neglect the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, that is sin. It is not uh, up for debate. It is not opinion. If you, if you are deliberately neglecting the assembly of the saints, that is sinful to do. And, 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 and if you're finding excuses to do that, then you're finding excuses for sin. And that's not good. And that, that inevitably results in a seared conscience. And that is important without doubt that we come together for worship. So don't misunderstand me when I say this. That's not really what I want to talk about when I talk about physically isolating yourselves from your brethren. Now, it's super important that we come here. And I think most all of us understand that because we are here. But And, and that's important to keep in mind down the line, too, if we start struggling with this, remember, oh, I need to be around my brethren in worship. But I'm not even just talking about that. I'm talking about neglecting to meet with our brethren, to meet with Christians outside these assemblies. I'm talking about keeping the people from church as the people from church and nothing more. And we're invited to go eat with the people from church. We are content to, content to deny that. We're invited to recreate or do fun things with the people from church. Well, well, we kind of just want to keep them from church. We want to go out and we want to spend time with our worldly friends. And we want to develop those worldly relationships. And, and especially for young people, I know this is problematic. We want to make friends with the world. We want to nuzzle up to sin. And we don't want to be accountable for the things that we're doing. We don't want to be challenged by our more mature brethren. And that's a problem. And I understand that. 
And we don't need to isolate ourselves and we don't need to keep to keep the people from church just at church, quote unquote. We need to be the church, which means that we're invested in one another and that we're not just giving lip service. This isn't just a show that we love each other. And we don't need to think, oh, well, they'll be there Wednesday and Sunday like they're supposed to. That's the wrong attitude. When we're when we're invited out to spend time with our brethren, we should count that as a blessing. We shouldn't look for a million excuses not to go. We should try to make those instances happen and invite people to do things like that. And this, I, I think this congregation is pretty good with stuff like that. But we don't need to isolate ourselves from, quote-unquote, the people at church. Because those aren't just your brethren at church. They're your brothers and your sisters all the time. They're your family. And we became family when we were adopted into the household of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's significant. That matters. And we need to act like it matters at all times. So let's be there for each other. Let's be real family and friends and be tight-knitted. Let's reach out to one another and physically be there when our, where, where our brethren are. Let's go to one another. That's important. Romans 12, chapter 10, and the New American Standard Bible reads like this. Be devoted to one another. Romans 12 and verse 10. This is, I like the New American Standard translation here specifically because of one word. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference... To one another in honor. What does that mean? That means when I'm looking at my schedule and I have the option to get to know my brethren or spend time with my brethren or go recreate with the world, I'm going to lean towards my brethren 10 out of 10 times, no excuses. That's what that means. And when we invest more in the church and the people, quote unquote, the people from church, well, then we're all more tightly knit and then we'll enjoy those experiences more. The deeper we go, and it's important to understand that. But that leads perfectly kind of into the second way that, that we keep ourselves from the brethren that can renew our strength and can stop us from growing weary and losing our faith, which is kind of a more subtle, uh, it's more of a subtle isolation that we do. And that's, yeah, okay, maybe I'm physically there and geographically there where my brethren are, and this is something I've been guilty of, and I admit this and confess this and apologize to anyone whom I've done this to, but you, you build this wall between yourself and quote-unquote, again, the people from church, because, well, this is America. I'm an individual. This is my business. I want it to stay my business. I don't want anybody else to have to have to be involved and know what all's going on. And I don't want to be accountable or be beholden to anybody else for the stuff that I'm doing. And so we build this wall, right? And that's no good. Because the problem with that, flip to Galatians 6 and verse 2. Flip to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. When we always try to put on a front... That we're just this immutable monolith, just this just titan of faith that never stumbles and has no weaknesses and doesn't struggle and have doubts. When we try to give off that image, okay, well, I mean, maybe for a while that'll hold up, but then, but then we don't have anybody to, to bear our burdens and they just kind of stack up. Look in Galatians 6 and verse 2. We have a command as, as brethren to bear one another's burdens because that, that fulfills the law of Christ. And I, I hope... I earnestly hope this. I hope that I can speak for everyone here in this auditorium when I say that we want to do Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. We want to do that. We want to bear one another's burdens. We want to bear your burdens. And this sounds weird. This sounds backwards because this is how the world reasons. That, that, that that's ooh, the, the, Just deal with your own problems first. Love yourself first, etc., etc. I'm saying, I want your problems, brethren. I want to help you with those things. That is a blessing to me. It is not a burden to me to bear your burdens with you, ironically. That is a blessing. 
But we can't do that if we don't know of any burdens that need borne. And therefore, the responsibility is on the individual when they're feeling weary and when you're feeling like you might faint to share that and express that in, in a concise way and in a way that we or not in a concise way, but in a clear way so that we can try and help you with your problems. Because I've, I've won too many times, and I've seen other brethren do this too, but I can speak personally. Man, I've let a certain thing, I'll put it in geographical terms, maybe you guys can understand this based on a story from my life uh, that y'all all know. I can go too far down the wrong road without calling anybody for help and get myself in trouble. Okay? I see people smirking. You know what I'm talking about. And we do that too. Sometimes you just have to be, you know what, in this particular area, I'm a dummy when it comes to geography. I can admit that. All right? And in spiritual areas, all right? We, we have areas where we're weak and we need to be willing to say, to have someone who can, who can help us bear that. That's what we're here for. And so, to you I say, don't fall away, don't give up. Remember that you have brothers and sisters that they need you too. Yes, you need them and they'll help you, but they need you too. If you fall, if you fall, who is to say that there wasn't a Christian that you didn't know about looking at you? As the example, as the encouragement, look into you as, as man, what a strong pillar of faith. Look into you taking cues from you and then you fall away. What can that do? Well, we've seen what it can do. Like dominoes, they fall. And we can't have that. We can't have that. Because that, 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 that is literally the leaven that we've been, ta- that we've talked about again and again. We cannot have that leaven occurring. And you, the buck can stop with you if you'll just not faint. If you'll see that we're here to help you and you'll confide in us, you could save another along with you that you don't even realize is looking to you for your positive example. It's so important that we have this massive support system and we need to take advantage of it. So as Isaiah 40 and verse 31 says, we can have our strength renewed. But who is it that will renew our strength? How are we going to have our strength renewed? Isaiah 40 and verse 31 says, those that wait for the Lord are going to have their strength, are going to have their strength renewed. So our first reminder to not grow weary is that, you know, kind of horizontally, we're surrounded by all of our brethren fighting the same fight and running the same race. And it can get difficult at times and we can get in the muck and in the mire and sometimes it's blood, sweat and tears, but we're fighting it together side by side. And if that were the case, honestly, we could not win this fight. If that was all we had, we would not win. We would fail. But yet, I'm going to put this forward to you, that the Lord, your God, is in your corner. He goes before us. Yes, we're working. And I'm talking about, yes, our, our, our labor, our physical works in the Labor Day sermon was very relevant. But we're working other ways too. We're working at home. We're working on stuff at home. We're, we're, we're working for various goals. We're working toward things. We're working on ourselves. And we're waiting while we're working for the Lord. We're waiting on Him. And what happens is, as we're working, if we're not waiting for the Lord, then we find ourselves waiting on other things. What do I mean by that? What's the difference between an alien sinner and a Christian? Both are waiters. Again, I'm not talking about occupation. Both are waiters. Both are waiting. But the alien sinner, they're waiting for different things. The alien sinner is waiting for the next paycheck, as Josh talked about this morning. The alien sinner is waiting for the next shiny new thing. They're waiting for the next award. They're waiting for the next one-night stand. They're waiting for the next high. They're waiting for the next passing pleasure. But the Christian, the Christian is waiting 
on the Lord. And what that means is, that means that we're headed toward the end of a story that has already been written. That we're headed toward the end of the road and we know our destination versus the alien sinner who's going off in a million different directions all the time. And the reason that we don't grow weary on that path is because the Lord goes before us. Look in Deuteronomy uh, verse, or Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy 31. In Deuteronomy 31, what we read about is we read about Moses and how, you know, Moses is, he's getting ripe in his old age. He's, he's about 120 years old. And he's been told, you're not going to set foot on the promised land, Moses. You're not going to make it. So he knows this. So he does what, what a good leader does. And he kind of passes the torch to Joshua. And he offered Joshua in verse 8 some personal encouragement, some kind of one-on-one admonition before he passed this torch when he tells him in verse 8, Joshua, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And one can imagine the fear that Joshua might have felt in a situation like this where you're about to take the helm of leadership over an entire nation, that this is a big thing, okay? And you could think, oh man, Joshua's in the spot where he's, he might be thinking, man, this is too much, or I can't do it, or etc., etc. So it's wise of Moses to tell Joshua that the Lord's going to go before him, and that's distinct because the Lord's not going behind him, maybe catching up in a little bit, and maybe when you're in trouble, then the Lord's going to show up and and do just just the just the bare minimum to get you out of the trouble. What what Joshua is experiencing is that the Lord has gone before him. He has already promised. He has already promised the things that he's promised. It's as good as done. It's sealed, so that he would not abandon them for anything. What a God! What a Savior! One that goes before us. What a thought to think that the fight that we're engaged in. Is already over. Because we know that death was defeated. We know that all the conflicts that are in our life, they become just, they become just passing battles, right? When we have difficult, when we have difficult at work with coworkers or difficulty with bosses, when we have family troubles, when we have financial problems trying to make ends meet, when we're, when, when we're able to remain steady through those things, it's not because of our own strength. We're not just waiting for the next, bam, we're not just waiting for the next hit. We know that the Lord has already gone before us and has already won the greater battle that is being waged. And we know that if we look at the big picture, that even though, you know, we might have take a couple bumps and, and bruises along the way, that the Lord's going to sort it all out. Whether we feel like we win or we lose in these little skirmishes in our life, we know that in the end, we have victory in Jesus as the great hymn goes. And that's amazing. And I'm looking to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13 now. I'm looking to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13. Where we, what we can read about is we read about individuals who believed that God was doing things ahead of them. That he was working ahead to make sure that they were established. The people of the Old Testament they, who kept running, who kept believing that God already went ahead of them and already made a way for them. Hebrews 11 verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, the trouble would have, op- would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, 
for he has prepared for them a city. That city is our goal. And when we're running a race, for anybody of you who, who have run in like a 5K, or if you, if you could even just imagine this, when you're running and you see the finish line, you almost get a second wind. At least I do. Because I'm thinking, it's almost over. And I can almost make it, right? And I hustle because I see, ah, it's almost done. And, I, and, I get, and when you get over that finish line, it feels amazing. But just seeing the finish line is motivation. And in the same way, Jesus, Jesus was that goal. He was the goalpost. And, and he really, he didn't just cross the finish line. He kind of was the finish line. And when we know we can make it, we can see that because we kind of catch a glimpse of that through Christ who brought heaven down to earth to show us God in the flesh. When we see Christ, when we see Christ, we don't grow weary. We don't faint because we know that, that, that we can make it in the flesh, that we can make it in the flesh. In Matthew 5 and verse 17, we see that what Jesus' mission was summed up in Matthew 5, verse 17 through 18. He said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus said he would fulfill the law. How did he do that? Well, we remember the law was a schoolmaster that was meant to teach the people about the grievances of sin and to express God's justice and to help people to understand God's justice. And the prophets, how did he fulfill the prophets? They promised a Messiah that would come and bring healing to the nations and extend salvation to all and raise up a kingdom that would be everlasting. And Jesus did that as well and set the captives free. He did exactly that. He fulfilled both God's justice and His mercy on the cross. Just like the book of Romans said, in that moment, God became both just and the justifier. And in John 19, verse 30, we read that Jesus said, John 19, verse 30, it is finished. In verse 18 of Matthew 5, he said, until all is accomplished, a.k.a. until all is finished. Jesus finished it in John 19, verse 30. He put the stamp on it. It's over. It's done. End of bout. Fight is won. And because of this, because of this, because the fight is over, there is something that I've realized, brethren. And this is just in the last couple months I've realized this. And, and maybe I'm telling on myself and showing a little bit of immaturity to say that I just learned this in the last couple months and really have, have thought this through. Brethren, I no longer feel that I have to control every detail in my life. I no longer feel like I have to be leading every conversation. I no longer have to feel like I, I have to know exactly what the next thing that's going to happen in my life is going to be. While I'm not advocating against planning and, and, and thinking things through, I absolutely support those. I realize now that I'm not the one who's in control. I'm not right in this story, in the realest sense. And that is such a relief. That is such a relief of a burden. Because the reality is, like I said, the fight is already done. The place is prepared. The battle is won, and we're here. And when we remember that, when we remember that, we realize that we don't have to pull from our own reserves to try and make everything happen Cain's way, or your way. And we don't have to have our way. Trying to have my way. Honestly, I did that for so long and still as a Christian did it again and again and again. And I realized that. It is so exhausting to try to live a life like that. Micromanaging every little detail and trying to control every aspect and twist every knob is exhausting. 
And sometimes I think we just need to trust the Lord that He's going to see us through to the end. And this doesn't mean that we become lazy and lukewarm. And I can see the temptation to hear this, this particular part of the lesson and say, and say oh, okay, I'm just going to go on cruise control then. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. This doesn't mean that we just say, oh, well, grace is going to cover everything. I don't need to work on myself spiritually. I'm not saying that either. No, 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 no. Quite the opposite, actually. What I want to articulate to you, brethren, is this is our motivation. You understand what I mean when I say this? This is actually our motivation to work harder. The reality that we're not in control and that we are, as Josh said this morning, working not for ourselves, but not for earthly masters, but for the boss, the king, that we're working for Jesus Christ. That's our motivation. And that's ultimately the reason that we do everything that we do as Christians. That they for, I think fear and guilt are okay motivators. Yes, fearing hell is an okay motivator and it will stick for a while. And I think guilt for sin is necessary. But once that guilt subsides, we can fall right back into the same trap. If we aren't filled from the sin that we repent of, if we aren't filled with an understanding of our need for our family and our need for the God of heaven and our need to wait on Him. And if we understand that, then I think you'll understand this final point, why we absolutely, there's no option. There should never be an option in our mind to quit or to give up. And I'm going to tell you why. It's simple. You promised. If you're a Christian, you promised. You promised you would never, ever quit, no matter how hard it got. That's what you promised. You don't don't believe me? I saw you this morning. I saw you make this promise this morning. What are you I didn't say anything like that this morning. Look in 1 Corinthians 11. Look in 1 Corinthians 11. In 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 24, Jesus tells us that when we drink the fruit of the vine, we partake of and we make a promise. Look in verse 24. And when he had given thanks, that being Jesus, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also he took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus said, this cup, that's the new covenant in my blood. A covenant, what's a covenant? What's a covenant? It's a promise. It's a deal. It's a proverbial handshake. It's a signature. It's a sign on the dotted line. And Christians, Christians are partakers, joint partakers, partners, if you will, of a promise to live and die by the word of Christ. One that he fulfilled already. He, he already did his end. He did, he did he fulfilled his criteria. That's why he said, it is finished. And that's what should take the pressure off of us because now all we have to do is keep believing that it's finished and as long as we do, then we're going to act like it's finished and live like it's finished. And when we do, we're partakers of that promise. If we know that, and if we think about the supper, and if we think about how just this very morning and time and time again, Sunday morning after Sunday morning after Sunday morning, perhaps evenings if you're late, that we jointly profess this promise that we will not give up. And we do that together. And we preach that sermon at the same time. Every single one of us are agreeing when we take that supper that we're never ever going to turn our backs on each other. 
And we're always going to be there for each other, no matter what. And that we are living and abiding in Christ. And that we believe in His sacrifice. And you promise that. And I'm telling you personally, if you ever think about quitting, then we have a problem. Because you promised me when you took that supper that you would never turn your back on me. And I don't want to hear that. And before, and, and before anyone does, I want to have a conversation with you. Because I don't want to see you lose your salvation. I don't want to see you in hell. I don't want to see you go that way. I want to see everybody in this room right now in heaven. And I want to see that. And I want to tell you this, Christian. I know the very first time that you promised that you weren't going to quit. I do. I can take, I can take you right back to the very first time that you promised that. A, each and every one of you. I might not know all the details. I, pro- I probably couldn't name all the details. But I can say this. I can say your feet were probably wet. Y'all know where I'm going with this. Your feet were probably wet. And you're probably standing across from a fellow, probably somebody you trust. And they probably asked you, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And then you, with your own mouth, I hope in good faith, you said, yes, I do believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And what happened there, and what happened there, was without words. And yes, with some words, you did confess that Jesus was the Son of God. But without words, you entered into that covenant, and you entered into that promise, and you said directly to Jesus Christ, you communicated, I will never ever turn my back on you no matter what. You said that. Romans 6, look there. Romans 6. That was a promise that we made. Romans 6. And I think if we remind ourselves of this promise regularly, and we don't just think about our baptism as, oh yeah, that was a cute little story that we tell around the campfire sometimes at church camp, or or you know, if somebody asks me, I'll tell you. This should be sacred to us and important. The, the, the memory of the day that we committed ourselves to becoming a Christian. Look in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Paul says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Four, if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. That's His promise. And then we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. If you were baptized, like this Romans 6 baptism right here, buried to rise again to walk in newness of life, then on that day... You promise, I am not quitting for nothing. I will not give up. And so that's why you you cannot feel, you cannot grow weary. You cannot faint. That's not an option. We have a million other options than that. And that's what Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31 says. And I realize that we're going to struggle. And I realize that that's going to happen. And I realize that there might be some people right now who they don't feel like they can relate to this lesson. Because I'm sitting here talking about a Christian who's struggling and who's feeling like they're getting kind of weary and they're kind of, they might faint and they might lose their salvation. And you say, I can't relate to this lesson, Cain, because I haven't even entered the race. I'm not even in this discussion. Uh, and if that's the case, then you don't have to worry about growing weary or fainting 
That's true. You don't have that responsibility of keeping up the Christian lifestyle, which to some people before they're baptized, well, that can seem like a whole big thing. Hell is going to be worse. Way, way worse. And heaven is going to be awesome. I'm trying to communicate that to you right now. It's not worth it to sit on the dime and to think, man, I don't want to promise something that I can't keep. Here's the reality. You won't keep it all the time. I don't keep it all the time. I mess up. I make mistakes. But the Lord says, I'll forgive you for that. Time and time again, I'll forgive, forgive you for that if you'll just come to me. Now let me ask you this. If you don't fit into the equation of this lesson, you say, man, I'm not running, I'm not running and growing weary. I'm not walking and not fainting. I'm just laying here dead by a ditch. I'm not doing anything. I'm just, I've just accepted it. I'm just, I'm just going to lose it. That is not the correct attitude. Join this race, even if it seems like a long road ahead, it is going to be worth it in the end. You're going to have time to do that, an opportunity in just a second. Christian, especially Christians, listen to this lesson. I'm telling you, throughout this training program, I've grown weary at times. And I've felt like stumbling. And I have stumbled, I'll just tell you. And I have not perfectly shrugged off every failure that I've had. Some I've fallen hard. But I know that you've all been there to pick me up. I know that the Lord went before me to help me with all those things. And I promise you all, here in just a minute, if you need anything, I'm going to be standing right here to help you. Just come forward as we stand and as we sing.